So, all right, let me tell the truth about why I didn't wear a sweater and I wore a jacket. Apart from the fact I liked it. Um, let me tell the truth. I was watching a preacher recently, and I was watching him, and the way the guy was dressed just put me off. And I couldn't hear what he was saying for what he was wearing. And I remembered when I was in Bible college, they said to us, don't try not to do anything that distracts from the message you're sharing. So I wore a jacket so I can take it off. <laughs> and... Uh, Sometimes it's a bit hard to kind of, you know, if you're trying to share things that are eternal truth and, and you're dressed like Lord knows what. So, uh, okay, so I am in the spirit of this. I love it, but I've taken the jacket off for half an hour or more. Uh, so we started, a, we started a series last Sunday, which I called Christmas Surprise. And um, there are three facets, three aspects of Christmas that I want to look at these Sundays. Last week, we looked at um, God's split-second timing. How Christ was born, the Bible says, when the time was right. And we reminded ourselves that God is never late. And then also I asked the question, what time is it for you right now? And suggested you might want to think, what is it that God's speaking to you about giving attention to in your life right now at this time? This morning, I want to go on to another aspect of that. I want to talk about God's overwhelming generosity. It's like, you shouldn't have. A long while ago, about 20 years ago, I think, before our, our son was married, um, he, he, had, uh, he had a kind of a really um, run-down station car because he was living at home. He was working in Manhattan. And uh, he decided he wanted to get a car. He said, Dad, you want to come with me? So I went with him and... Uh, we went to the dealership, and we started talking to a guy, and he picked out the car he wanted. And as I'm sitting there, you know, you know, you know how they do. You've got you to kind of haggle with them to get a decent number. The number we got in the end blew me away. It was so low. I thought, wow. And then I had this thought came through my head because my wife, Jill, was driving a car that wasn't too reliable at that point, and I wasn't too happy about that. So I said to the salesman, uh, can you give me a better price still if we get two? And he did. Got a great price. And uh, I had this, for Jill, I got this black, really nice. It's a, it was a Mitsubishi Galant. But it was black. It looked absolutely terrific. It was December. So I said to the salesman, I don't want it yet, though. Can you hold it for a few weeks? He said, no, no, we can't do that. He said, it'll be ready for you to pick up. And blah, blah, blah. So I go back. I get the car. I take it to my friend Frank Summers' house. And Frank keeps it in his driveway for a couple of weeks. Joe's got no idea she's getting this car. And then when Christmas came, oh, I said to the salesman, because, you know, sometimes when around Christmas with cars, you get these huge red bows they put on top. I said, I'll only buy the car if I can get the bow. And he said, no, I can't do that. But if you come in Christmas Eve and get it and bring it back the day after Christmas, it's a deal. So I did. I went in Christmas Eve. I got the bow. Very early Christmas morning, Frank brought the car over, parked it in our driveway. I made some excuse to go outside, got a hold of the bow, put the bow over the top. We sat down as a family. We did Christmas gifts. And then, you know, 
We're looking at the gifts, Jill. This is something from Roger. It's a little square box. Now, my wife always says, if you don't know what to buy me, buy something that goes in a little box. <laughs> and what man is there here who ever knew what to buy his wife? So she gets the little box, and then she opens it and looks at it, and she said, what's this? You didn't. And I said, yeah, I did. There's a car out on the driveway. So we went out on the driveway, and it looked magnificent that morning. It, like, it had, it was, you know how, like, a brand new car is waxed, and it's never going to look that good again? And, and there it is, gleaming with this huge red bow on it. It was a terrific scene. She saw it, she said, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Then she turned around and looked at me with tears in her eyes and love in her eyes and terror on her face. And she said, can we afford this? <laughs> and we could. And we could. But in her mind, that was like a crazy, extravagant gift. It was like, really? Now, of course, you set yourself up there. Because what are you going to do next year? <laughs> it's been a battle. We serve, we worship, we know a God who, especially at Christmas time, reminds us of his overwhelming generosity. Unbelievable generosity. In fact, if you look at uh, a very well known verse in John's Gospel, chapter 3, here's what it says This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need to be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. This is how much. This is how much God loved the world that he gave his son. So that anyone, anyone can have a whole and a lasting life. Christmas is the reminder for us of the incredible love God has for us and of the extravagant generosity of our heavenly Father. God sent His Son. Only one way that you and I could be reconciled to the Father. There was only one way. And, and, and you know, I can't really fully get into it, but I try to picture as a parent that there's only one thing you can do, and that's to give up your child and for that child to go through some of the most unbelievable, incredible stuff, but to say, I'll do that because I value them so much. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next Sunday when I talk about God's amazing master plan, that Christmas is about salvation. But, but you know, when, when we look at John 3.16 and we, we think about the, the amazing love of God, it starts there. Let me, let me just show you this verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Romans 8, 32. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Now look at this next bit. Like if God was willing to do that, if God was willing to send Jesus, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us. 
Like if God would give us the most treasured thing he has and send his son, if God would go to that length of giving Christ to be our Savior, if God would do that for us, then is there anything that God would not give us? So actually, that first Christmas was the beginning. Listen, if, if you look at John 3.16, and for so many of us here this morning, we can look at a time in our life, and it may not have been a specific day. It may have been a development of an experience. But we can say, here I am today, and I have believed in Jesus, and I have received the gift of everlasting life, right? Now, for some of us, that might have been in recent months. Some of you getting baptized uh, this uh, Celebration Sunday, it might have been a more recent thing. Some of you, it might have been something that happened several years ago. Some of you, it may be something that happened many years ago. I gave my life to Christ 56 years ago. Five. I'm not that old. 55 years ago. That was the great blessing of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. Was that the end? No. I've discovered that the God who gave his own son for us is a God who has blessed me over and over and over and over again. And some of you could say amen to that, right? That the one who delivered up his son, that he has blessed us incredibly. Here's what it says in Psalm 145, verse 16. It says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God isn't a clenched fist God. God's an open-handed God. Satisfies the desires of every living thing. In John chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. That's true, right? We all live off his generous bounty, Gift after gift after gift. So we come towards the end of another year, another year in which we've all experienced a lot of different kinds of things in our lives, in our families' lives. But here we are sitting here this Sunday morning, and the truth is this. Wherever the path may have brought us and however the year might have been, we're still sitting here today and saying, my God, we're blessed. The God who gave his son for us has blessed us in a multitude of other ways and continues to. I want to remind you of a couple of the ways in which God has blessed us. Not only did God give us the gift of Christ and has given us the gift of eternal life, we celebrate this Christmas time that God has given us the gift of faith. I want to explain that. We celebrate the gift of faith. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels came to the shepherds, they said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus came. The message of his birth was brought to these particular people. And the angel said, a Savior has been born to you. You know who shepherds were? They were about like the lowest of the low. That's how they were looked upon in society. They were looked upon as people who weren't very intelligent. They were looked upon people who were kind of third rate. And they were despised. And the angels came and said, you know what? A Savior's been born to you. 
And I love the fact that wherever we've come from, the Savior came for us. The Savior came for you. The Savior came for me. A Savior is born to you. So the Savior came. Jesus came and salvation was made possible for us. But then I want you to look in a bit more. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 2. So the Savior came, but here's what it says next. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So it is by God's grace that we've been saved, right? God could have just cut us off. God could have just said, I'm done. God could have said, I'm not bothering. But God in his incredible grace sent Jesus to us, gave us the gift of his son. Christ died to buy eternal life for us. His grace. But look at the next bit, because like God's grace is, is what makes it happen. But look at the next bit. Through faith. It's by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. Now, some people look at that as if it reads this way. On God's part, it was grace. On our part, it was our faith. It's not what it says here if you read the whole verse. Here's what it says. God's part was grace. Your part is faith to trust him and believe in him. But look what it says next. And this is not from you yourselves. It is the gift of God. So God not only has got the grace that he loves us and reached out to us, but more than that, the faith we need to believe in him was God-given as well. That's how much God wanted us. That is the incredible generosity of our God. Love it. Love it. So when we were not in a place of faith, God gave us the faith to believe. So you know what? I hear, you know, the phrases often used. People say, I, you know, I trusted the Lord. I believed in the Lord. That is absolutely fantastic. But you know who gave you the faith to do that? God gave you the faith to even take the step because he cared about us that much. With Jesus, not only do we find someone to focus on as our Savior, but we were given the faith to trust him too. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, that's God's part to us, it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. So God has graciously opened the way for us, but what Paul's saying is here is don't get carried away with the thought, so then you brought something good to God and God welcomed you, okay? Look at what he says next. He says, no, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. So it isn't as if God opened the way through grace and then I was able to present something to God that made me acceptable. Listen, our salvation has got nothing to do with our goodness or what we can do for God. Our salvation has got everything to do with what God has done for us and continues to do for us. The, um, some older translations, and I quite like this, put that, 
where it says God brings it all to you, put it this way. It says God has given to everyone the measure of faith. I like that, the measure of faith. I don't know if some of you, we grew up in a, what I thought a big family. Uh, there were like seven of us, mother and father, five siblings. I know some of you probably grew up in even bigger families than that, the mind boggles, but there were seven of us. And um, when we came to sit down to eat, when I was a kid, I liked to eat. Now, I hear there are some people who aren't too worried about food. That's not normal. <laughs> I, I like to eat. So when I was a kid, so there's me, there's my brother who's 18 months older than me. I've got a sister who's 16 months younger than me. I've got a, I had another sister who was a couple of years older than me. Then we had a brother who was 10 years older. I can't picture him too much in family meals. I guess he was out working by the time that's, that I'm remembering. So there we were, sat at the table, four kids, dad, mom. My mother hardly ever sat down to a meal. I, I really don't see her sitting at the table. Uh, she was busy coming in and out of the kitchen. We didn't go for these old big fancy. We didn't have that. It was like bomb, bomb, bomb. So she was there. Uh, and we were served. Of course, dad was served first. That's the way it should be, right? <laughs> yes, is a good answer. So dad was served first, and then we went in order of seniority. And so by the time I get my plate, I'm looking at my brother's plate. And if we got roasted potatoes, which I love, oven roast potatoes, pan roast, I'm counting. No, I am. I am. I'm counting. I'm counting how many potatoes he's got on his plate. And then I'm counting how many potatoes I've got on my plate. And if there was a disparity, and I thought it was a good day to mention it, you learn, you pick your moment, then I'd say to my mother, hey, are there any more potatoes out there? Because Chris has got more than I've got. Now, some days that worked, other days it really caused tension, but that was kind of the way I was. It's like, here, here's what you've got, here's what you've got, here's what you've got, here's what you've got. I want to tell you, you know, English people tend to be big on eating peas as a vegetable. I'd be counting the peas if I could, but that was kind of, that was too demanding. Here it is. Here's what you've got. Here's what you need. You know what the Bible says? Because we're all different, God gives to every one of us the measure of faith. The faith that we need for where we are that, at that particular point. Some of us, some of us, it wasn't too, you know, it wasn't too much. We weren't that far away from really trusting God. But God gave us the measure of faith that would bring us to trusting Jesus. Some of us were a thousand miles away from Christ. And you know what? It took a whole bucket load of faith that we needed. But you know what? God gave us the measure of faith because God wanted us to be His. And when we come to Christmas, time and think about God's overwhelming generosity, we celebrate the gift of faith. Because though the Savior was born, I wouldn't be connected to the Savior unless it was for God's goodness. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 says this. It says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God the best invitation we ever received. 
everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously, what's the next word? Okay, let's try that again. It's not hard. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given. given. Didn't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. I don't have to prove that I'm worth it. But everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. Sometimes folks say to me, it was okay for you. I just can't believe. And I remember, you know, one of my wife's favorite phrases, she used it, I think, more when we had younger children. It was like, she likes to say, can't is a subconscious won't. And sometimes when folks say, well, I can't believe, it's really a case of, well, I'm not going to. God's given us everything we need. We celebrate the gift of faith, an incredibly generous Heavenly Father. You know, the gift of faith doesn't mean we understand it all. It just means we trust. The gift of faith doesn't mean we've got it all figured out. It means that we believe Christ died for our sin and we trust Christ as our Savior. The gift of faith means this. It means on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, when things don't look the way we want them to look. We say, but I trust God and I believe God above everything else. God is unbelievably generous. We celebrate the gift of faith. The second thing I want to highlight this morning is this. What we do at Christmas time is we celebrate the gift of family. Amen. We celebrate. Christmas is family time, isn't it? You know, we are... Um, Next Sunday evening, we're going to be actually leaving part of our family and going down to Texas uh, to spend uh, Christmas with the other half of our family. Um, when we're at home, we do Christmas at home. I, I always like to cook for the holidays. Did I mention I like to eat? Okay, so I always cook for the holidays, and I, I, I love doing that. I'm the kind of cook who I put all the effort. I don't want anybody in the kitchen, right? Some of you identify with that? Can I help you? No. Oh, thank you. Uh, right? But no, no. Uh, what can I do? Get out the kitchen. <laughs> right? That's the way I am. I got this all worked out. Leave me alone. Right? And then when I sit down to eat, I'm done. My wife marvels at how many dishes I can make and how much of a mess I can make. But when I sit down to eat, I've done my bit. So... When, when we come to Christmas and we sit around the table and we're, we're ready to eat and we come to pray together, I can guarantee that my grandson, Jace, will say, yeah, Granddad's going to cry now. Because the thing I always say, and I, can, I don't usually manage to say it without tears, is the best part of Christmas is having my family sitting here at the table. It's the best part of Christmas. And when it, you know, when it comes down to it, 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 it really is. The Savior of the world didn't come into a palace. He came to a family. He came to a young family. And you know what? The church is a family too. Church is family. And one of the things that I love about our church, which means all of you, is I love the atmosphere that's here is like family. 
I wore a sweater last Sunday, and somebody said to me, it's ugly Christmas sweater day next week. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be an ugly sweater, but you know what? <laughs> and she wasn't saying it was, but, but it was, you know what? It's what family do to each other, right? Family tease each other, right? And it's like that kind of feel around this place is something that I love and something that I cherish. And you know what? I believe it's something a lot of people are looking for. They want to be able to come into an environment where they know that they are, you know, they can just be them, put down their guard, and and I thank God for that fact. One of my favorite Bible verses, Psalm 68 and verse 6, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. Now, that's how God wants church to be. And, and sometimes we talk about church family, but the reality is not family. And uh, one of the things I love is the sense of that that is here. And, and I want to thank you for being willing to be, just be yourself, just to kind of, we don't try to impress others, we just try to bless others, yeah? We try to serve others, we try to encourage other people. But, but when you think about church as family, um, that means there's going to be a great variety, right? Your family's quite a mix, right? I'm guessing. I don't know your families generally, but I'm guessing your family's quite a mix, right? And, and, and our family is too. In fact, did you ever notice we had two children? They grow up in the same household. They, you know, you do things the same way. You, 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 you instruct them in the same things, but they are, they're two totally different entities. You ever notice that? right? That's because God's a God of infinite variety, right? So when God made me, he didn't say, whoops, didn't mean to do that. I won't do that again. (laughs) When God made me, it was like, yeah, we got one of him. So let's see who we get next. So God made us. So there's an incredible amount of variety in the family, in Romans, 12, uh, Romans 15 and verse 7, it says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. There's a lot of variety in the family of God. So you know what the Bible says we need to do is we need to accept each other. We need to appreciate each other. Nobody else is going to be the same as you. Nobody else is going to look at everything the same way you look at it. Nobody else is going to fit into your mold because that's you. But we need to accept one another. And if you're visiting here for the first time today, firstly, thanks for coming. Secondly, we'll give you good stuff if you stop at the front desk on the left as you go out. But thirdly, I am so glad you're here. Somebody asked me last week, like, can anybody come to your church? What I should have said is just look at the pastor. That answers that question. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I thought about what, I thought afterwards about what makes that question. And you know what? Perhaps folks don't know whether they'd be welcomed or accepted. Now, that's not on this church because they'd never been to this church. But I just want you to know today, you are more than welcome. And you are more than accepted. And I say this a hundred times over, but there is a reason why those barn doors are so big. 
And they are so big so that whoever you are and whatever you're carrying, there's room for everybody to come into this place. Sure, we're different. We are different. Family's different. But you know what unites us as family? Your family because you share parents, right? That's what makes you family, basically. And you know what? What makes us family is this. It's not the uniformity. It is the fact that when we trust Christ as our Savior, God becomes our heavenly Father. And at that point, you know what? We've got shared parenthood, and we are part of the family. Now, some folks say, well, we're all the family of God. No, no, no. We're all the creation of God. Here's what it says in 1 John 3 in verse 1. It says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at us. We're called children of God. Those who trust Christ are called the children of God because of God's overwhelming generosity. Hebrews 2.11, since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin, Jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as family. So there's variety in family. There's a shared parenthood in family. Family's a source of support. Hey, family copes with conflict. Whoa, that's uncomfortable. Did we really need to go there? I love this verse in Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham is traveling with his relatives and his family and, uh, and, and Lot, his nephew, and they're traveling, but they, they're... Um, they are, um, they're what they are, agricultural people. Is that the word? They got flocks and they got herds and they got you know, stuff. And their flocks and herds get bigger and bigger. And then Abraham found out that, you know, lots, his nephews, all his kind of herdsmen, shepherds, whatever they were, they were fighting with Abraham's because they wanted, you know, they said, Abraham, oh, you're Flocks get the best place to feed, and ours don't. And, and I love what it says here. Abraham said to Lot, let's not have fighting between us because your shepherds, between your shepherds and my shepherds. After all, we're family. After all, after all, we're family. And you know, in church life, you don't always see things the same, Right? All right, let me ask that question again and see if you can answer honestly. In church life, we don't always see things the same, right? Right, we don't. But when everything's said and done, we're family. When everything's said and done, we're family. And somebody might disappoint you. I might disappoint you. But when everything's said and done, what connects us is we're family. Churches aren't restaurants where you go eat for a little while and you get fed up with that restaurant. So you try the newest one in time. It's a place where we make a commitment to people, not to a service, and we become part of that family. And, and I want to encourage you that that's the reason God brings us together, is so we will, in fact, be family. There's a, there's a quote I read by, by Frederick Buchner who said this. He said, the best moments any of us have as human beings are those moments when for a little while it's possible to escape the squirrel cage of being me into the landscape of being us. I thought that was great. And that's what we're doing here today. We're not me. We're us. 
God made that happen because God puts the God puts the solitary, the lonely into families. So I want you to know this Christmas, I really thank God for you, every one of you, and for this family. We celebrate the gift of family. And, and then thirdly, finally for, for this morning, we celebrate the gift of a future. We celebrate the gift of a future. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah was foretelling the birth of Jesus. He talks about those walking in darkness. He talks about the land of deep darkness. And, and you know something? One of the most uh, oppressing and darkest things sometimes that, that we experience uh, and that we think about is, is we think about life's end and death. But Jesus came to be a light in that darkness. Jesus came to dispel that darkness and to bring that dawn. Here's what it says was God's solution to that darkness. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us his son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I want you to notice the underlined phrase there. He will be called the everlasting Father. God has given us the gift of a future. So you know what? Once we trust Christ as our Savior, there will never be a time that we are separated from Him. God becomes our everlasting Father. Everlasting. I'm part of the family. Hello? You can't opt out of your family, right? And you know what? You don't opt out of the family of God. He's your everlasting Father. Now, I want to say this. Sometimes relations can become strained and you might become distant. But the fact is this. You're still viewed as part of the family. God still looks upon you as his child. God doesn't cut you off. God doesn't say, I'm done with you. But what God does is he loves us and loves us and loves us. God's overwhelming generosity, the light in the darkness, the everlasting Father. You know what that means? It means when I move from this life to the next life, that's just what I'll be doing, moving from this life to the next life. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Verse 6 Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, part of the beauty of Christmas is not only did God send us the Savior, but He sent us an eternal Savior. God gave us the gift of faith so we could trust Him. God put us into a family so we could grow together, and God has given us a future. God's overwhelming generosity. That's the God we serve. That's the Father we serve. And you know what? That's the Father we should reflect. My wife tells me often, she says, the older you get, the more like your father you look. And I say, what's wrong with that? Because <laughs> there are different ways in which we'll resemble our fathers, right? 
When, when I was, a, when I was a, a, a child, on Saturdays, my father would collect up everyone's shoes. We didn't have the number of shoes we've got nowadays, or that I've got anyway. Uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have all those shoes. But my father would gather up the family's shoes, and on Saturday, he would polish everybody's shoes. He'd been in the military. So he was the only one who could really polish shoes, right, in his estimation. So my father would polish shoes. And I guess we all learned that because it became kind of almost a thing that was done. Saturday, you cleaned the shoes. I, I thought it was quite funny yesterday. My nephew who lives in Australia posted that today I polished everyone's shoes because <laughs> things passed down. And the overwhelming generosity of God is something that should be seen in God's people too. And I'm happy to say that in this church family, it is. I was going to mention this right at the start, and it went from my mind, and some of you will misunderstand me now and think this is all he was building up to. Most of you know me better than this. Don't forget next Sunday is a chance for us all to be overwhelmingly generous. The whole of our offering next Sunday, we're going to give away. Now, isn't that a risky step because we still got bills? No, it's a faith step. Here's what the Bible says. It says, God gives seed to sowers. In other words, if you're going to give it away, God will make sure you've got something to give. So next Sunday, that's what we're going to do. We're looking to raise somewhere around $40,000 next Sunday morning. That's a lot of money. We're looking to raise that next Sunday morning to put up a new church building in San Marcos, the Dominican Republic, which will free up existing church space to expand the school there that's ministering to kids that are in dire need. I love that. I love the opportunity to do that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be praying about that, and I want to encourage you just to do what you're able to do. And here's what I really want to suggest to you. Really think about what you're going to do. And then ask yourself, is that going to be a step of faith, or can I afford that? And then ask yourself if you're going to take a step of faith. We're going to have a terrific Sunday next Sunday, uh, and I am looking forward to a lot of folks coming, worshiping with us who aren't normally here to see what God will do. God's overwhelming generosity. Listen, if you've never opened your life to Christ and received the gift of eternal life, there is no better time to do it than now because Jesus came so that you could be His. Let's pray.